Come be a part of the Tea Party with your host, Dr. Ed Holliday. Hear the voices of liberty speaking all across America. Doc Holliday provides thought-provoking interviews and commentary about the issues and actions that are afflicting this country and what we need to do to get America back on track. Get fired up. Get inspired. Get on board Doc Holliday's Tea Party right now. It's only a click away. And how are you doing this week? Welcome back to Doc Holliday's Tea Party. I'm Ed Holliday, your host, and you're listening to Doc Holliday's Tea Party at webtalkradio.net. It's webtalkradio.net, and we have a great show coming to you this week. I hope last week everyone had some great days of Thanksgiving and had plenty of turkey and dressing, and now we got to move on because we're looking at Can you believe it? We're looking at a lame duck session of Congress. I've always thought there was such a term, lame duck. And now, and now, and now, in this incredibly uh, correctly said word, lame duck session of Congress, uh, we are seeing some lame ducks. Some lame ducks we ought to blame all this mess we're in on. A lot of them got voted out, and now we're going to let the lame ducks make big decisions? No, don't let it. Don't let it. These are the same people, the Democratic leadership in the House, who would not pass a budget bill, who would not do any of these things of bills that needed to be done. They they just uh, refused to stand up to their responsibility. So I'm glad they got knocked out. I'm glad they got sent home, so many of them. So we got new leadership coming up in the House of Representatives. In the Senate, we need new leadership. Don't have it yet. We got a couple years to work on it. But in the meantime, this lame duck session of Congress is uh, very much concerned to me. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. And also tonight, we have an author, got a book called The Tea Party, The Awakening. So we're going to be speaking with uh, him in just a few minutes, so you don't want to miss that. And also, the Rock of Liberty speech. It's going to be where I revisit what we talked about a couple weeks ago. I had some people ask me about my Rock of Liberty speech when we talked about uh, Gettysburg. So let me just say Gettysburg, Rock of Liberty speech. Don't miss it. It'll be coming up at the end. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about this lame duck session of Congress. So many things that um, Harry Reid is trying to get through. Now that he's uh, just tickled that he's still the majority uh, leader in the Senate, the United States Senate, and he has all these lists of things he wants to get through. Let me tell you something about this Stark Treaty. Now, if you need to read, I haven't read anything in the mainstream media about why people oppose this treaty. They just it make it sound like uh, if you're conservative and opposing it, you just do it to make President Obama look bad. Now, that is just ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. You need to read the START Treaty. Uh, look at the long list of conservatives who came out against it, even all the way last summer. The problem is the wording in so many instances. The wording is written from international law point of view. And if you read this right, and it's, it goes to... It goes to saying with President Obama what he's trying to do in so many cases. He wants what the United Nations says, what international law says, to have stronger authority than the sovereignty of the United States of America. 
the Constitution of the United States of America must remain the sovereign law of this land. We're not going to have people over in Europe and China and Russia telling us what we have to do. Now, that doesn't mean we can't get a START treaty, but it means the treaty that's out there now needs to be revisited. We need to see the records of why the Russians are saying that they won this thing, they got what they wanted, and the United States didn't get anything. Why would we trade away a strong position to, in order to get closer to the rest of the world? I want to ask President Obama that and his negotiators, and let's see what a job they did. I just don't believe it's a good treaty. Now, you may convince me later, but let's don't rush into this thing in a lame duck session of Congress. We need to take time. This is something that's going to affect generations. When you say, let's get rid of all our nuclear weapons, it's easy to say that. Let's all hold hands and uh, have nirvana on top of a mountain somewhere. It's easy to say that, but you got people who want to kill you when you got people who want to destroy your country and bring you down. One thing it's good to have is a lot of nuclear weapons. They didn't talk about, are we going to build up our conventional uh, forces if we don't have all these nuclear weapons we can rely on? And when you talk about reducing 30% of the nuclear weapons, do we have the backup? Have we gone through this uh, plan? And do we know everything's working well? Every, is everything kept up to date? Is it, is it modernized? These are things that now they're asking, they should have been asking before we started negotiating. I'm getting a little bit upset because my children's future is on the line. My future is on the line. And you know, as Tea Party people all across this country, there's something about this international law being pushed by this administration and liberals everywhere that wants to just do away the United States Constitution. But the Senate has to approve and pass this, uh, this treaty by two-thirds vote. And that's a constitutional uh, hurdle. It's got to come over. And I hope that we don't rush into this thing. And I hope there's enough senators out of 100. Uh, I hope there's at least 34 that can say, let's hold on and let's take a good look at this thing. And we may need to renegotiate it. I'm sorry, but I do not want it to be passed through a lame duck session of Congress just so somebody get a feather in the hat. We're talking about the future of the United States of America, and you need to get to your congressman, I mean, your senator, the senators are going to be ones who decide this, and let them know, let's don't rush into this thing. Let's make sure what we are talking about before we vote on something and pass something that's going to affect generations. And let's look at the law, and let's see what it means to the sovereignty of the United States of America. Now, going on this lame duck session of Congress, there's other things they're talking about. I don't know what they're going to bring up. Uh, we, this, uh, the Bush tax cuts. What are we going to do? We got an economy that's hurting, and they're talking about raising taxes. If they don't do anything, they're going to raise taxes on everybody. And they say, well, the rich people don't need it. I'm telling you, some of these companies, they're begging for jobs. The government's saying, we need the private sector to make jobs. Let go of some of that money and make some jobs. I'm telling you, when you say uh, anybody over 250000 makes over $250,000, is going to have to take a huge hunk of a pay increase. You think they're going to reinvest in their uh, companies to, to get to make more jobs come on come on it's easy 
to just uh, try to slay slay everybody. That's discrimination. And, and the liberals love to discriminate. They say, oh, we don't like discrimination. We're against discrimination. Well, then let's treat people equally. But right now, especially when this economy is hurting anybody that is a, a, a proven leader in making jobs and, and giving more jobs out and creating a business that can grow and get more jobs, we need that. It's very, very, very important that liberals everywhere understand our nation needs jobs. Don't be a job killer. Don't tie the hands behind the back of the people who have proven they can make jobs in small businesses in all 50 states all across America. Now, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm getting up on a, on a stomping preaching. Now, here we are uh, in the a lame duck session of Congress, and it just it's bewildering to believe that people who got slapped, uh, dabbed, uh, shellacked, like President Obama said, are up here making decisions that can affect the future United States of America. Let's just, I'd say, send them home and let's get the new Congress up here. But uh, let's get ready. We're going to uh, speak to uh, our uh, guest author who has written about the Tea Party movement. And he lives out in California. We're going to get him on the line, and uh, let's see what he has to say today. Okay. All right, we got uh, Brent Morehouse on the line right now, and uh, he's got a new book. And Brent, welcome to Doc Holliday's Tea Party. Thanks, Doc. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, Brent, tell us uh, what, what's the name of your book, and uh, tell us why, why you decided to write a book. Tea Party, The Awakening is the title. And this book actually came out uh, of a uh, project that I was working on, another book project. And in the midst of that project, I started calling grassroots organizers throughout the country and asking them what motivated them to get involved. And, they, and I asked them if they would give that to me in their own words, their own writing, and they did. And these stories uh, were very uh, compelling, and I decided to contact more and more organizers and built a database of over a thousand and just made a lot of phone calls and emails and uh, so part of the book are is stories in their own writings from uh, citizens like you and I that uh, just awoke so to speak but uh, when, when you're saying that and uh, I'm glad you said that now are you uh, did you actively get involved with the tea party or are you looking at this more like a, a reporter's point of view well, a little bit of both. I attended the first Tea Party rally in April of '09. I was invited by a friend, and not too long after that, I decided to just start reading and researching on my own because I was tired of not knowing all of the details. Um, I had really pushed the snooze button, you know, for years uh, uh, in the, on the political scene. Uh, you like, like a lot of us. Yeah, and I just finally got sick of it, and so I decided to educate myself, and so I almost locked myself in my office uh, for a couple of months and started working on notes and research, and I decided to turn that project into a book, and that is the, that project is actually put on hold while this book came out, Tea Party of the Awakening, and the first part of this book is a uh, comparison between the 1770s and today. I found... 25 amazing similarities between then and now. 
Well, uh, similarities between the 1770s and today. That's that's interesting. Tell tell me what some of the top maybe the top five are. All right. Well, I'll tell you the one that caught my eye, the one that startled me and caused me to go back with a sharper eye. I was reading a book that was published in 1943 about the American Revolution, and the author stated that Great Britain had a mass a national debt of 140 million pounds. Now, that uh, number didn't mean anything to me. It, it, it stuck with me for a couple of weeks. I decided to go back and research and find out what that number meant in context. Uh-huh. With simple research, I found that Great Britain had a population of 8 million, so I, I put that in the spreadsheet. They had a per capita income of 16 pounds. So I entered that in, and the, the equation states that their national debt was 110% of their national income. Uh-huh. Yeah, that they were getting in trouble. Now, that was uh, if every man, woman, child earned that per capita income. Now, today, the U.S. has amassed a national debt of $13.3 trillion. That's on the books today. Yep, and that's right. We have a population of 309 million. I plugged that into the spreadsheet, and our per capita income, as of December 09, was 39,100 and change. I plugged that in, and the number is huh. our national debt is 110 percent of our national income. Uh, very. Uh, I don't know if you say ironic or foreboding, but uh, but uh, wow, that that's an interesting statistic. Identical numbers, and that startled me because Parliament had passed this legislation called Acts over decades, year after year, that slowly crept and built uh, against the personal liberties that Englishmen enjoyed for decades, and, and certainly a century since their revolution in 1688. They were attacking the basic cornerstones of personal liberties and freedoms, like freedom of speech. And today, there are identical things that are happening. I call those subversive actions of the government. Now, these similarities, there's 25 similarities grouped in economics, politics, and subversive actions of the government. And it just amazed me when I like I said, went back with a sharper eye and just looked at things in a different uh, perspective. So uh, so finding those things that were identical, now did you have like a chapter on that and then, uh, and then a chapter, or, or was this part of your, this, this is part of your awakening book? Or correct, book correct. Was, the first, this book is really two books in one. The first section goes over the historical similarities between two like-named movements, the Tea Partiers of the 1770s and the Tea Partiers of today, two movements that are separated by 240 years but joined by the same ingredients. So that's the first section of this book. And then the second section... Let let me stop you right there just a second and remind everybody uh, you're listening to Doc Holliday's Tea Party. I'm your host, Ed Holliday, and we're talking to Brent Morehouse, who has a book called... Uh, Tea Party, The Awakening, and we're, uh, he's telling us about uh, the similarities between 1770s and today, and, and now he's uh, now the second part of the book. What's, what's that like, Brent? The second part of the book are honest, compelling stories from hundreds of rally organizers, people that decided to just get up, pull a permit, email their friends, 
uh, and relatives, and they didn't know if they were going to be the only ones to show up. <laughs> I've heard that story, and it's, it's exciting, isn't it? It, it is exciting, and it's exciting every time I tell it, and every time I read it, and every time I hear it, is that hundreds of people came out. The parking lots were filling up before the rally started. Streets had to be closed. In some rallies, thousands of people showed up. And that was an amazing event that we have not seen in our lifetime. Uh, Brent, why, why do you think that happened? Well, I think what's going on with our political spectrum, and we have seen, if we go back to 1980 with Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan um, had landslide victories in, in 1980 and 1984, and he did so not because he beat the Republican drum. He did so because of the principles that he exposed, what he talked about. And that resonated with the Americans. Now, he was only a president. He was one person, and he could not uh, put into effect all of his principles, hardly any, quite honestly. But you, you're right. One thing when you're you talking about he stood on principle, and that's we go back and people still talk about the Reagan Democrats. He, he, didn't, exactly. he didn't tout Republicans as much as he touted principles, and that's why we still have these what people call Reagan Democrats. Well, I, you know, this movement, I'm glad you brought that up, because this Tea Party movement, um, there is a perception that it's a faction of the Republican Party, and that is not true. It's this movement is made up of Democrats, Independents, Republicans, uh, Libertarians, Green Party, Constitutionalists, etc. And the reason that it's perceived to be a faction of the GOP is that we have two political parties, and they're entrenched by laws in almost every state. And so this movement knows it must work through one of these parties. It's easier to do that than it is to create a third party. Uh, so, yes, yep. We, we've talked about that before on this very show. Yes, and not only is that what's happening, but it's also inclusive. And, you know, we hold dear our affiliations with the donkey or the elephant, you know, the blue or the red, or, you know, whatever label you want. We hold on to those too dearly, quite honestly. And this movement is refreshing because it can invite people who are of like mind with these principles our country were founded on. And it's also important to know this movement is mirroring the 1770s movement. Hmm. Back then, there was the Whig Party and the Tories, the Whigs and the Tories. You talk about it over in Britain. Uh, no, in the, oh, okay. in the early America. What, in what the was that, over here in the colonies? Uh, you're correct. The, the, there was Whigs and Tories in Parliament, but there was also Whigs and Tories here in our state assemblies. And the Whigs were, were the party that the Sons and Daughters of Liberty, the original Tea Parties, that decided to work through. And the movement actually stalled because the establishment in the Whig Party didn't like what they were seeing, and they tried to put the brakes on it. And not until the establishment in that party was swept away did that movement for liberty, for freedom, flourish. When you and say the, the same, when um, you say the, the same thing is going to happen today. But when you say the establishment was swept away, now it was just over. They just finally got rid of. It. How was the establishment swept away? That as best you can tell, Brent. It was the grassroots 
movement of people um, all across those 13 colonies. It was a flat organization, just like today, and they were diligent, and they kept pressure on the state assemblies until many of the Whigs in the, uh, or many of the establishment in the Whigs became Tories, and so they they threw their hands up like, hey, we're you're putting too much pressure on us. We don't like this movement. We're going to become Tories. Or they just resigned their posts. And so what we're going to find today is this movement is bent on working through the Republican Party, and they will remove the establishment in the GOP. Now, So, so people like uh, Mike Castle, <laughs> he might throw his arms up just like and say, I'm going to go join the Tories, I guess. Well, the Democrats are, you know, but yeah, and we definitely have progressive Republicans today. I mean, you know, the term conservative and liberal, and those terms are so blurred now. Uh, I agree. That I would prefer is patriot. Now, patriot, what does that mean? We hear it a lot. It, uh, lot most we do all think, over the Tea Party movement. Well, know. I know, but most people think it means love of country, but it doesn't mean that. It means love of liberty. That is the true definition of a patriot, or a patriotism is love of liberty. The term patriot, when we apply it to the 1770s movement, if it was love of country, then, well, then they would have loved King George in Parliament. Oh, exactly. That's right. They loved liberty, and they realized it, and they saw the encroachment of Parliament, that Parliament was bent on ruling them uh, as a ruling class, and today's Congress... Today's federal government is that. Uh, it is bent on establishing itself, uh, further establishing itself as a ruling class. It's, it's so evident when you compile all of this over decades. Now, this did not happen with Obama. This did not oh, happen. Oh, yeah. I, I think everybody agreed. It's, it's been happening for probably 40 to 50 years, especially in the last 20 to 30, just, just uh, progressively less liberty, more liberal, more uh, more government, uh, big government taking over. Exactly, Ed, and that's another similarity that uh, came to mind, is this movement today, one of the biggest uh, unreported stories about it is that it's a movement of education. This movement started off with anger and frustration, which was okay. We have plenty to be angry and frustrated about. But it immediately switched into a, a desire for knowledge. And this movement is bringing back books that have been dead in print for decades. And the same exact thing happened in the 1770s. They brought back books as bestsellers that hadn't been in print for a hundred years, 70 years. Now, see, now, that's news to me. See, I didn't realize that, that the 1770s produced that uh, desire, that thirst for knowledge and, and liberty. It did. In the early Americans, the patriotic move was, uh, they were avid book readers, and they brought back books that mainly dealt with um, um, English uh, colonies and how their, their struggle for freedom and independence. Uh, it's just amazing the similarities between then and now. And the reason I think it's really important to read about those similarities is that it it brings us into this movement with validation and logic. In other words, 
the media, the establishment in the media, and the establishment in the parties, both parties, are not painting an accurate picture of this movement because they try to put it in a light that's favorable or beneficial to them. Yeah, the, we, we are a threat. <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly right. The Tea Party is a threat to them. Uh, exactly, and it, they either view it as a threat directly or they don't understand it, and so they must you know, discourage people from uh, being involved in it. And so the reason it's so important to not only read about the historical similarities so we can gain you know, a relation uh, with what's going on today, but it's also very important to read these authentic stories from people, and it's truth. When you're reading these stories, you're reading the truth, and you can tell it's the truth. Now, you might not agree with every single thing that all of these people have written. I didn't, and I put the book but, together. I mean, there were right, things... No, no way anybody could agree with what everybody says. Right, but what you do get is you get an accurate picture of what this movement is about. And Brent, uh, I'm glad we had you on air. I know time is just moving on, and uh, that's a good way to help sum up the book. But uh, where where can people get the book, Brent? You know, what I'll do, Ed... Um, We've created a promo code for your listeners, and if they'll go to our website, it's www.newpatriotpublishing, all one word, newpatriotpublishing.com. New Patriot Publishing. Okay. okay. And if they'll put in the, uh, the promo code ED, okay. they'll get 40% off uh, either the hardcover or the paperback. And All they, right, well, that's good can, for our listeners. Yeah, they can put the, for, the that code is at the very end of the checkout process, and if they put in Ed, they'll get 40% off. And so um, I would encourage your listeners to check it out and see, not only see what where this movement got its roots oh, 240 years ago, but you can also see where it's going from here as well. Just by reading the historical similarities, you can see that they're... Uh, it's evolving the same way. I mean, that's, that's exciting because that's what we're... be a revolution with votes. It's right. not going to be a revolution with bullets, but uh, it will be a revolution with votes. And uh, it's going to take more than one election. We, that's what we realize. Right, right. Uh, well, we got to sum up here. Uh, Brent, thank you for being on Doc Holliday's Tea Party, and uh, we'll have to get you back someday. Uh, thank you very much, Doc. I appreciate it. And that was uh, Brent Morehouse, uh, wrote uh, Tea Party, The Awakening. And you are listening to Doc Holliday's Tea Party. I'm your host, Ed Holliday. You're listening to webtalkradio.net, webtalkradio.net. And, wow, we learned a lot of things. Let me tell you a couple of nuggets I learned from talking to Brent. And his book is uh, The 1770s are parallel to what we're going into now in the uh, uh, 2009 and 10 seasons um it's uh, that's something i hadn't thought about i knew i've talked you've heard me talk on the show about the spirit of 1776 but that's a nugget i didn't really understand and brent helped put it out in his book and he also talked about uh reading the different stories about how tea party leaders uh came to be and, and the tea party movement that helps you define where the movement is going to go. And as you know, we are that's what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. We have been talking about where is the Tea Party movement headed, what direction, what do we need to do. So those are the things we'll keep 
talking about is uh, we you li- every week you listen to Doc Holliday's Tea Party. So make sure you listen next week and the week after. We're going to have more and more exciting shows. People like Brent, people like you. We're we're working together in this thing. It is new and it's exciting to be a part of a movement that is so deep and so wide. And I appreciate you listening to Doc Holliday's Tea Party. I told you about the uh, Rock of Liberty speech about Gettysburg. People say to know America, you must know Gettysburg. And I talked to you about how a couple of weeks ago about how liberals, it seemed to me like it was almost like the rebellion. And as the Southerners and the Confederates uh, came across that open field a mile long and marched right into the heart of the uh, Yankees. And, and uh, they were hoping they were, had been decimated by the cannonade. And the cannons were the, the, the biggest, longest blast in North American history of cannons came at Gettysburg. And yet, through all the smoke and the fire and the dense uh, fog and cloud of war, the cannonballs were missing their target. They were going, they were shooting over the front line of the Federals, so they didn't weaken the Federals any whatsoever, really. And it was devastating as the, as the Confederates stepped out from the trees and started their march. And, and, and the memories of the, the veterans as they would come back to Gettysburg years and decades after the war. They talked about the beauty of seeing such brave men step out. And yet, it was foolishness to think that they could march a mile in, in deadly fire from cannons and, and uh, of course, the, the rifles the just, just mowing down these uh, southern men who were sent into battle in the charge over a mile of open field. And yet, the liberals today, the far left, they've thrown everything at us. And like I said in that Rock of Liberty speech a couple of weeks ago, go back and listen if you hadn't heard that one. Uh, but it's, it's where the liberals have thrown everything they can, and, and it, it's frightening and scary. And yet we've held firm on the November 2nd elections. And now it's time to reclaim the land that's been taken. Justice General Lee was driven out of Pennsylvania and back into the South. We've got to drive the liberals out of their positions. And just like Brent was talking about the establishment in both parties, it took some driving out. And we got to drive out to the establishment that doesn't want to change. If we want liberty, if we want America to grow and prosper and we be able to give her these freedoms and pass them on to the next generation, we have to think like Gettysburg. Gettysburg, July 3rd. Wow, it made a great July 4th. And that was why... Gettysburg is written into the soul of America. We talk about the high watermark of the Confederacy. We talk about the furthest place of the advancement of the Southern troops. And, and, and no, no doubt about it, General Robert E. Lee, he wanted to go up north and he wanted to, to get a devastating win 
that would devastate the North, and they would, his hope was they would sue for peace because so many people were tired of the war, wanted the war to be over with. And I really think the liberals have pushed so hard, they just don't to wear us out. And that's the Tea Party movement. They want to wear the Tea Party movement out. They want us gone. The establishment, the liberals, they hate the Tea Party. They've thrown everything at us, all kind of names. They've tried to embarrass us. They've tried to ridicule us. And they've laughed us and mocked us. And you and me, were standing firm. <laughs> we're standing firm like a stone wall. How about that for a little Southern thinking out of the box? Uh, but I'm telling you that Gettysburg, as you know Gettysburg, and it was some valiant soldiers on each side, but the Union stood strong, and America, America won that battle, and that's really what ultimately won the war. Now, President Lincoln was right, and he was not a military uh he was not a military genius, but he could figure out. He told General Meade, who had won for, <laughs> had won the day and won the battle and beat the great Robert E. Lee at Gettysburg. He said, go, by all means, go, get them, catch them before they cross over the river and get back into Virginia. But Meade, he was afraid. He was afraid to push so Tea Party folks, don't be afraid to push. Let's learn from President Lincoln, the first Republican president. Let's learn from Lincoln. When he told General Meade to go after him, if General Meade had gone after him, the war might have been over in 1863. But there's much more suffering went on. So please, please, don't, don't just, after the election on November 2nd, don't sit down and think it's going to be all right. It's not. We've got to keep working. We must go out and get more reinforcements. We've got to find the disillusioned liberals. We've got to get those who don't understand what's going on and we're printing money like crazy and we, we're, we're not getting jobs created. We've got to get people to understand the spending has got to get under control and we've got to get out from under the thumbs of the heavy-handed big government that is forcing, forcing, forcing themselves on us and reducing our freedoms. Look at all these things are looking around. We can't do it overnight, but we can keep pushing and pushing and talking and making sure our representatives understands our not only our feelings, but the ideas and the principles that we will stand on the United States Constitution and the amendments that are there is we is what we have to let them understand. We un, we know it. And every time they pass a law, they got to tell us where in the Constitution do you get the authority to do this? And they need to verify that. And if they can't, the law does not need to be passed. And we've got to start looking at the judges just like they did in the state of Iowa. These judges who were making law, they threw them out. They gave them a vote of no confidence and they're gone. And we've got to start doing that all across America. Judges who legislate, that's not their job. Their job is to be judges. They do not legislate. If they want to legislate, they can get out of the judgeship and run for office. It's the people who make the rules here, and we get what we elect. And it's time to start electing a lot of great new leaders.
And we've started on November 2nd. That's a good start. Don't stop now. Get it going. Get involved with your tea party. Look for leadership. And make sure you get some new new people to come along with you. Get the young people involved. Look on your college campuses. Get tea parties started on the college campuses. And we have a country that we are going to restore and make it better and better and better because you and me are getting involved. Thank you for listening to Doc Holliday's Tea Party. We'll see you next week, and we will continue talking about where the direction of the Tea Party movement is going. God bless you. See you next week. Thanks for joining us today, and remember to listen again next week for another edition of Doc Holliday's Tea Party. You can order Ed's book, Walk With Me, A Patriot's Guide from the Boston Tea Party to Today's Tea Party Revolution by clicking on the book cover right in front of you on the screen. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.